Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Oh, uh, what is happening, everybody? This is Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo, and it is a new episode of Crossed Up here on a Friday morning, fresh off a Baltimore Orioles sweep of your Philadelphia Phillies. An unmitigated disaster down at Citizens Bank Park this week. A couple games got away from the Phillies late, and then they were bludgeoned to death on Thursday afternoon and into the evening by the Orioles. Thoroughly dominated. Anthony, it wouldn't be an episode of Crossed Up if we weren't doing it at an absolutely miserable time. What's happening, man? Yeah, uh, I'm doing well, Bob. Thanks for asking. Uh, But here we are at the witching hour, Thursday night into Friday morning. Um, And I got to tell you, I'm I'm really ready to, to, to explode with this team. And I try to keep, I try to stay measured, right? I try to be the guy who, you know, I'm going to be objective. I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm siding, you know, too far one way or too far the other way. I try to look at it realistically and objectively and offer a measured opinion. But I can't help but think that we go back over the course of the last 12 months, at least, if not 14, 16, 17 months. And every episode, I feel like we sit here and, and say, they need to rectify the bullpen. They need to, they need to fix this. And he, lo and behold, I know, I know Arietta didn't have a, a great fifth inning tonight. Um, otherwise, he pitched well. Let's up four runs. And the bullpen comes in and gives up seven more. Now, Bob, I don't know what the total is now, but it's something like 61 runs in, in 50 innings or so, yeah. something they absurd. They have an ERA over 10, and that's, yeah, okay. that's it's, the bottom it's line. It's absurd. Okay, it is beyond – I've never seen this before. That's, that's how bad this is. And if you and I, two guys who are sitting up at midnight talking about baseball, you know, on, on Zoom <laughs> – Okay, can can recognize this for a year and a half, and this organization can't recognize it for that long. That is a real disconnect with the organization, and it goes all the way to the top. This isn't just Andy McPhail, Matt Clentak, which we we bitch about them all the time, right? This goes beyond them. This goes to the owner. Okay. Because, and I'll let you, you know, you're the guy who's down there. You probably have a little bit more insight than I do. But I look at it as one of two ways, okay, with the owner. Either the owner is, is too cheap to spend the money that's necessary to go over the luxury tax. I, I'm not, I don't want to call him cheap because he just spent all that $200 million on this, on this whole roster, right? So, I mean, he's spending money. But he's nickel and diming the, the, the situation by not wanting to go over that luxury tax to make his team competitive. It's either that or he's too chicken shit to recognize that he's got people in charge who don't know what the hell they're doing. I respect the fact that we are doing this at midnight and that you are as angry as you are, because I suspect that if you're listening to this podcast right now, you are either irate with the Phillies or you feel completely apathetic at this point. And just to kind of step back, pump the brakes on everything and look at the big picture of this, isn't it amazing? I mean, we've been doing this show now for over two years and it feels like that we've had to talk about mostly the same two or three topics, if not every week, you know, probably at least once a month. We kind of just tend to circle back to the same issues, which is that, you know, specifically that this bullpen isn't good enough that the general manager has not constructed a quality roster, especially with the amount of financial resources that he's been given. But I do think now tonight we are inviting a new conversation, which is 
did Matt Clentak have a cap? Was there a limitation set forth by ownership to not go all in, maybe not build the best bullpen possible? Or is this just a complete failing of the baseball people? And I have to say, you know, we've done shows after wins, after winning streaks, after holding a, a two-game lead in the NL East and being in wild card contention or a walk-off win. And we've had reasons to be excited and get pumped up over the years. And, and just as recently as a couple of weeks ago, I talked about, you know, how I felt that this was a playoff team, especially with an expanded postseason. But I can't help but sit back now, pause and sort of take stock of the situation and just say, we've been doing the same damn thing for three seasons now. Mm-hmm. And yes, Here's the qualifier. I only want to say it once tonight. It's only 14 games. It's only 14 games. I'll say it one more time. It's only 14 games, but it is also one quarter of the schedule. The Phillies are on a 20 and a half game win pace right now. They just got their doors blown off by a team that won an average of 50 and a half games the past two seasons. A team that rebuilt after the 2016 season. They started after the Phillies. And they dusted the Phillies this week. If you are concerned and you're the eternal optimist after this and you say, oh, you know, they'll get it together. I just don't know. And I don't see the straws that you're grasping at. (laughs) No, it's. I mean, I know that there are other things to talk about. I mean, there a lot has happened since we spoke on Sunday night, right? Yeah, there's so much to talk about. We're going to talk about all of it, and that's and we're why we're having this show. And we're gonna and we're gonna get to all the topics. I, so, so I don't want to, I, I don't want to seem like here, here go Anthony and Bob again, beating the same dead horse that they like to beat. But how can you not? Joe Girardi. He's got a worse team now than this team was the last two years. And I didn't think that was possible. Like, you know, we we kind of, you you know, I know you were more of a Gabe defender than I was, but I at least gave him said, you know, it's it's tough managing a team that's not that good. It's tough managing a bullpen that's trotting out Mike Morin and Jared Hughes and, and, uh, and Blake Parker. Which is uh, preferable right now. <laughs> all of them well and parker's here now but yes yeah. that bullpen last year was significantly better than this one yes significantly it's hard to feel it's hard to feel good about jt real Muto's start it's hard to feel good about bryce harper's start both of them have been outrageous uh you know they're having positive things the starting pitching i know that jake arietta had a, a rough afternoon on thursday but for the first four innings he was good i thought for the first two starts he was pretty decent obviously what you've gotten out of aaron Nolan, and zach wheeler uh, I would say to this point has been has been fairly positive. So there are good things to feel about, but you're, there are things to feel good about, I should say. But, you know, you're five and nine, and, and I'm sorry, but the bullpen supersedes most of the positives and overshadows most of the positives that they have had thus far. I, I honestly, and, you know, we were laughing at the Mets last year, right? Do you remember when their bullpen couldn't hold a lead? And we were cracking up, Edwin Diaz couldn't keep the puck, uh, the, the puck, listen to me, yeah. I'm on the hockey thought, right? Couldn't keep the ball in the yard. Um, uh, and no matter who they, I mean, the only relief pitcher they had that was of any value last year was Seth Lugo. But the Mets could not, could not uh, for the life of them, protect the lead late in the game. And we laughed. And we laughed because it was an embarrassment to baseball that the Mets bullpen was so bad. I take last year's Mets bullpen over this year's Phillies bullpen. That's how bad this is. This is historically bad, Bob. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you would take any bullpen basically in the history of baseball over this bullpen to this point. Yeah, so. and I feel bad for Connor Brogdon. I mean, the kid's making yeah. his major league debut, right? Yeah. And he got touched up a little bit. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and knock Connor Brogdon. He might actually turn out to be a pretty good pitcher, right? I mean, it, it was his major league debut. So I'm not... I'm not going to sit there. You know, he's at least a little bit of a prospect, and, and you say, okay, let, let it go. But Vince Velasquez, baby. Yeah, well, I mean, let's <laughs> talk about him. And, again, here's the situation. Obviously, after Sunday, he was told, you're no longer in the rotation. I mean, that conversation happened. We weren't privy to it uh, up until the time that he became available to pitch in relief today. 
he's going to have to transition back into this role. You know, Joe Girardi's come to this thing over and over again where he said it's about rhythm, it's about consistency, it's about repetition, and to transition from a starter into a relief role in three or four days is not an ideal scenario for Vince Velasquez. Nothing about this season is going to be an ideal scenario. But again, it's not to make excuses, it's to acknowledge reality, but then also simultaneously say that you've got to do a better job. And so, yeah, Vince Velasquez again was underwhelming, was again disappointing tonight. But this is what it kind of comes back to, and I know we talked about this in the last episode, but you say, hey, listen, they're going to bring up Spencer Howard, and we're counting on Spencer Howard to, to pitch like a number one or number two. They bring up Alec Bohm on Thursday, and you expect this guy to be Mike Schmidt as soon as he comes up because what happens is you have an inferior team that underperforms, that doesn't seem to have the, the requisite fire and intensity and focus in key situations to be a consistently good team. And so then you turn your attention to these prospects who just frankly aren't quite yet anyway what people want them to be. Alec Boehm's not going to come up and hit 330 this season and, and be the rookie of the year. And, and Spencer Howard's not going to give you nine starts with a sub-3 ERA this season. I, at least I don't think so. But that's what we do now. Like, we're so tired of looking at these underperforming, underwhelming players that we turn our attention to these prospects. And I think that we may levy unfair expectations upon them for this reason. The Phillies, you know what I know at this point? The Phillies don't have it. Whatever it is, whatever characteristic, whatever trait is in a person's makeup, this team as a collective whole, I think, has a lot of functional parts, but as assembled as one, it has proven over a year, over two years now, that it does not have it. Do you honestly see this team ripping off a 9 out of 10 game winning streak? Do you honestly see this team becoming that 30-35 win team that we had hoped for a few weeks ago? I don't, because I, I, when I looked at this team and I evaluated it, I said, this, this lineup is going to be a threat top to bottom. The starting pitching, I think, will be decent, which it has been. But you can't have this bullpen, which has been far worse than anybody could have ever imagined, and then have your Scott Kingrys and your Reese Hoskins and, and your Andrew McCutcheons hitting sub-200. You can't have a third of your lineup hitting under 200. You just can't do it. And even if these guys turn it around, is there enough here? that this is a team that's going to make up four or five games on any of the other teams in the division? I just don't see it. No. No. I mean, these are the games that they should be winning, Bob. The, you know, you, you pointed out that they're playing Baltimore. This was a week, you know, we talked about it, I remember back, you know, on, on Sunday night when we were leading into the Monday game against Atlanta and say, you know what? At least if they win the game Monday, we look at an eight-game stretch with the Yankees and the Braves – and say, hey, they went four and four. I'll take that, especially after a week off because of, of the COVID thing with Miami. And then you get excited because you say, all right, well, guess what? The next set of games, the next six games, are against the Orioles and the Mets. And, and those teams stink. So maybe if you're the Phillies, you get that win against the Braves. Maybe you can win four or five of these next six games, kind of get on a little bit of a roll. And, and, and you know, Put yourself in a position where, okay, we got to start playing a couple of the tougher teams um, that are coming up on the schedule. At least it gives us a buffer. At least it gives us a little bit of a cushion. That was kind of how we were thinking. And, and when we left it Sunday night, when we said, all right, yeah, we'll record again later in the week, like, I think you and I kind of felt like, okay, you know, there's, there's a chance for some positivity in the next episode. There's a <laughs> chance for it. Oh, yes. And we got none. Because they got swept by the by the freaking Orioles, and now I don't I'm not certain that they're going to do good against the Mets. Yeah, well, you know, after after the game. game on Tuesday night, which I have to tell you was one of the most absolutely ridiculous games I've ever witnessed, and and to see it in person, you had to rub your eyes to even just make sure that what you were watching was real. I wrote uh, after the game, I tweeted it out. I was driving home. I live in South Jersey, so I, I come over the Walt Whitman Bridge and I take 42 to my house. Well, usually I get uh, on to 42 and I take 295 South. Now I moved about five months ago. So I go 42 to 295 South to get home. Well, my old house was off of 42, a little bit further down, like in the Camden County area, like Gloucester Township. Well, don't you know, I get off the exit to my old house. I'm two blocks away outside of my old house. And I go, holy shit. 
I don't live here anymore. <laughs> you know, that's what this team's done to you. I'm 25 minutes away from my actual house now. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's mind numbing, man. Like it just absolutely, it has melted my, it has melted my capacity to understand, you know, watching that infield pop up fall uh, in the ninth inning and watching Roman Quinn come in on a base hit with a runner on second and nobody out because that's the setup in extra innings now turning what should have just been an RBI single into a disaster. Just watching the IQ of this team and, and just not getting it. And even after that loss, I said, well, you know, they're still set up favorably the next two nights. You get two out of three. That's all you can truly ask for, regardless of who you're playing, how bad they are, if you're home or away, just win the series. And they lose on Wednesday, and then they get their doors blown off today on Thursday. And it, it kind of, if you you don't want to overreact, but you also have to kind of understand it for what it is. And if you aren't concerned after watching what we've watched here this past week, then I just don't know through which lens or what type of lens you are viewing this team. Here's another thing. They know it. Everything that you just said, and, and the whole thing where you said that they don't have it, that it factor, they know it. That's why a left-handed outfielder like Adam Hazley gets hurt and has to go on the injured list. And rather than call up an outfielder to replace him or a left-handed bat to replace him, they call up a right-handed hitting third baseman in Alec Bohm. Yeah. And, and Matt Klintak tries to justify that today. Tried to justify it by saying, well, we just wanted to call up the, the best player and Segura and Kingery are uh, versatile enough to allow us to do that. Yeah, they can a testament play to the positions. versatility of those guys. Yeah, yeah, right? Ne never mind the fact that neither Segura nor Kingery are hitting. I think Segura got just above the Mendoza line tonight because he got a hit, and Kingery's sitting 100. The half the Mendoza line. Yeah. Um, Four for 40. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. So that's why Alec Bohm's called up. Alec Bohm's called up because Segura's not hitting and Kingery's not hitting. And Reese Hoskins, even though he's getting on base, is not hitting. That's why Alec Bohm is the guy they go to here, right? Not Kyle Garlick to replace to replace the outfielder. Well, I'm just saying, he's, he's already been on the roster this year. So you would think, okay, he's got an injury to an outfielder. He's the sixth outfielder. Now he's the fifth outfielder because Hazley's hurt. Guess what? That's not who they called up. Yeah, well, I think that there's a few different things to unpack from, from this decision. Number one, it's nice to see Alec Boehm up because the Phillies probably aren't going to win the World Series this year. And so if you have a highly touted prospect, you might as well let him get his feet wet, get his reps in, and let's see what the kid can do. No problem with that, in theory, in a vacuum, as they say. The issue that I have is basically what you're talking about. To me, if things were going well, you wouldn't be seeing Alec Boehm right now. You know, it's not, and not that he didn't earn it or not that, his, that, that he can't hang or hack it up here right now. That's, that's not what I'm saying. It's not a knock on Alec Boehm. And it's exciting to see some fresh faces, some new blood. So in that way, it's a positive. But when I come back to this and really just look at the big picture, which I'm trying to do here this evening, rather than just rip my hair out, you have to admit that the only reason that Alec Bohm is here is because there have been so many failures. And it's not because Adam Hazley got hurt. It's because that there are rush fires popping up across the Phillies infield right now. And they're just hoping that, that he can put one of them out. The bottom line is, is that Alec Bohm is currently on this roster because the Phillies did not have a plan. Their only plan was one of these guys may suck, and if they do, we'll try to plug it with Alec Bohm. That's the plan, and that's what has happened here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The answer to that is yes, because I'll tell you right now, if the team was nine and five or eight, eight and five going into tonight instead of five and eight, and Adam Hazel gets hurt, Alec Bohm is not the guy that's, that gets called up. Right. Right? I mean, I, I agree with you. And that, again, it's, it's weird to say that because, like, everyone was fired up to see Alec Boehm today. I was excited to see Alec Boehm today. It was great to watch Alec Boehm play baseball. But if you step back and understand the context and why he's here, you have to say, oh, shit, something went wrong. And something did go wrong. Many things have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I, I actually kind of want to use this as, as a 
transition into a couple of different things. And I want to talk about a few individual players. And I want to start with Scott Kingery. Scott Kingery has had an absolutely horrendous start to the season. And I have a few different things I want to say about Scott Kingery. And I want to start by saying this. I still believe that Scott Kingery can be an above average major league baseball player. I still think that Scott Kingery has a chance. I don't think that he stinks. I don't think that the Phillies should get rid of him. <laughs> you know, I know that there's a lot of things that you can feel and say and think when you see the type of start that Scott Kingery's had. I don't know what type of impact COVID 19's had on Scott Kingery. I suspect it has had some impact. Maybe he's not physically tired or fatigued or, or weak at the moment as we sit here and talk in the middle of August. But did it disrupt his momentum? Did it disrupt his training? Likely. It sounds like he had a pretty severe case. Again, don't want to make excuses for the guy. But clearly there's just something wrong or off about Scott Kingery. I'd like to think, though we don't know specifically why this is happening, that he can rebound. Maybe it doesn't happen in August. Maybe it doesn't happen in 2020. But I still think that there's a good baseball player inside of Scott Kingery. But, and I want you to jump in on, on this in a second. This is a thing that's been really eating away at me lately. It feels like in this city that everything falls on a coach. Everything falls on a staff. Everything falls on a manager. It was, well, he had to play a bunch of different positions. So that's why he wasn't a good hitter. Well, all of a sudden he played a bunch of different positions last year and he was a good hitter. Then the thought was, well, now here comes Joe Girardi. He's so traditional. He's going to have him play second base every day. And he's just going to hit the ground running. He's really going to come in his own now because – He's got defensive stability. I was told that. That was the narrative that was pushed. I bought into it. It hasn't happened. So let me just say this. Maybe it has nothing about, to do with about how he's being utilized. Maybe he just struggled his first year, had his feet under him this year, got sick, or you know, last year, then got sick this year, and he's just off to a bad start. I, I don't know. But there's just like this idea that, oh, it's the way that he's being utilized, which has a direct correlation to his offense. And I, I don't think that that's the case. I really never did think it was the case. I never thought it was the case. And I still don't. It's interesting you say that, Bob. Uh, I don't know if you heard. I mean, we had Ruben Amaro on our show um, a couple weeks back. And he did another uh, podcast appearance. I think it was the one for... Um, NBC Sports Philadelphia. I think he was on their podcast. And they didn't dive into Scott Kingery so much as they dove into uh, the bullpen and, and the pitching staff just in general. And Amaro put a lot of blame on the development of pitchers on last year's coaching staff, specifically Chris Young. And I wonder, they didn't, they didn't discuss it, but I wonder if he would have said the same thing about some of the hitters. And even if he did, let's just say for kicks that he's that he went with that, that he went with it was the coaching staff last year really giving them too much information, trying to make them something, make these players something that they're not, trying to turn them into different kinds of players than they really are, taking not letting them use their skills. Let's just imagine that he believed the same thing for the hitters that he did the pitchers. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And, 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 and that's – it has to be incumbent upon the player himself to at some point say, this ain't working. I got to fix this. Zach this is Eflin. my livelihood. This is Eflin my did. career. I got to do something different and fix it or else. I, look, you, Bryce Harper came in here last year, had a good season. Not a great season, but a good season, okay? He, he tinkers a lot. Like, you, you see him, he changes his stance. He wears the batting gloves, doesn't wear the batting gloves, whatever. I mean, he changes a lot of that. He's constantly tinkering. Is that a good thing? For him, it is. He's off to a, in all honesty, uh, the potential for an MVP type. He probably gets lost behind Real Muto because Real Muto's even having a better season. But, I mean, that, so that, that's, a, that's a player who cares about his, his game, how he plays the game, and how, he, and how he can be better moving forward. I'm all in on Harper now. I really am. I was a little bit skeptical at first. It took me a year to kind of, you know, fall in love with the guy. 
And now I now I'm all in on on the, his approach and how he takes how he goes at it every game. You know, I don't think I don't think these other guys do that. At some point, there has to be some accountability from and by the players. You know, this isn't an eleven U travel team where the coach berates the shortstop and and destroys his confidence and wrecks his love for the game. You know, like. This isn't Little League. This is, the coach doesn't have that much impact. It doesn't, they don't have that much control over the performance of these players. Like, these guys have to take control of their own careers. They have to take control of their swings. And sure, they're getting input, and they look at video, and they have conversations with the coaching staff. And if your coaching staff stinks or you don't believe in your coaching staff, it's going to have an adverse impact on your performance. Like, there's no doubt about that. I think we all understand. But I don't want to hear any more about Gabe Kapler's coaching staff and and how it's bled over and it wrecked Reese Hoskins and how it's wrecking Scott Kingery. Stop. And you know why we do this as as, as fans and you know why we do this in, in media? Because we don't want to admit the uncomfortable truth that perhaps it's just the player's fault, that the player hasn't done what the player needed to do, that the player on his own hasn't advanced and developed the way that he was supposed to. It's easy to blame the guy that you fired. It's easy to blame the staff that you ran out of town. And I'm not telling you that they shouldn't have been run out of town, but it's just easy to point your finger and say they were the reason, not the player. The player is going to be okay because inherently it's the more optimistic and positive approach to take when you're assigning blame. Yeah. And now here we are uh, uh, more than uh, almost a calendar year later. And really, since the end of last season, and some of these guys just have not improved at all. New yeah, coaching is, is staff. Nick Pavetta, did Nick Pavetta struggle no. this season because of Chris Young? Nick Pavetta struggled this season for two reasons. Like, let's be honest about why Nick Pavetta struggled. Because he's not good enough and because he's not buying in to what's being told to him, whether it's the previous staff or this staff. We saw it. Everyone saw it the other night. Nick Pavetta had to be talked into coming into that game. And even if that's a little bit extreme, the fact that he even needed to field a phone call, the fact that Joe Girardi felt the need to explain to Nick Pavetta, hey, Nick, we need to get you into the game. You haven't thrown in a few days. Like, that's a conversation that shouldn't have to take place. And I'm not an old school guy by nature. I think the people that listen to the show understand that I'm a pretty progressive person. And I think I understand the modern athlete a little bit. Sometimes they need to be pampered. They need to be babied. They need to be coddled. But it should not require a phone call from Joe Girardi out to the bullpen to say, hey, Nick, this is why I'm going to bring you into this 13-1 to game. And for him to be so disinterested and so ineffective, I think speaks volumes to the makeup of Nick Pavetta. That's not Gabe Kapler's fault. That's not Chris Young's fault. It's an immature player. It's a selfish player. It's a guy that got talked into believing that he was better than he was, and he's never done anything. I'm sorry. And by the way, like, I cover this damn team. I know it's, it's, it's a little bit – I'm playing with fire saying what I'm saying here. Just leveling a guy like this. But he does not have it, regardless of the coaching staff. He doesn't have it. And, and the thing of it is, is you would think, Bob, I mean, I, I try and put myself in their position, right? I try and put myself in Nick Pavetta's position in that spot, okay? I, I was a guy who a year earlier was being touted as this breakout candidate, could be a number two starter in the rotation, okay? Had a really bad year, had it go sideways, lost my job in the rotation, had a pitch out of the bullpen, didn't do much better there. But now we got a fresh start with a new coach, new coaching staff. Okay, I'm going to give it, a, give it another roll. And they got me in the bullpen. That's where they had, whether it's because of COVID and I lost the, the number five starting job because the season started when it started, whatever the case might be as to why I'm in the bullpen. If I'm called into a game when it's 13 to 1, yeah, that's not a high leverage situation that I would prefer. Of course it's not. But what I need to do is I need to go out there and show them why I deserve to pitch in a more high-leverage situation. I, I, my, it's my job to go out there and not pout and not completely fail at my job almost purposefully, okay, and, and, say, and then expect a different kind of reaction from the, from the organization. 
He deserved to be sent down. He's lucky. He's lucky he wasn't DFA'd like the other guys were. Okay. And it's only because he had an option available to the, to the team. And so they say, oh, well, we'll give it another shot. Well, let, let's maybe he can work it out and figure it out. We do trust his, they believe that he's got the right stuff. If he ever can get it, you know, in his arm, if he can ever get the right stuff in his head, maybe it'll be a, a better situation. And, and that's the only reason he went to Lehigh. Yeah, well, he's, he's down there now as a reliever. I actually asked Joe Jordy that straight up. I said, hey, what's the plan for him now that he's gone, now that he's in Allentown? Well, we're, we want him to, to go down there and throw with some consistency and regularity, and they intend to use him as a reliever if he comes back up, if he's lucky enough to come back up. And listen, you know, I don't, I don't want to be unfair here. I'm not saying that Nick Pavetta's a bad guy. I'm not saying he's a bad human being. I'm not trying to insinuate that he's a brat or anything like that. I just don't believe that he bought into the situation that he was put into, and I I do think that there was a little I feel sorry for myself about the situation, and I, I believe it was very evident. I think it, it speaks volumes that Joe Girardi needed to pick up the phone to explain to him why he was in that game, and you're completely right. It was an opportunity to say, hey, this is why I shouldn't be pitching in these spots. I want the ball when it matters. I have the stuff. You know, and we talked about how he got pumped up. Everyone likes to kill Jack Fritz, right? Everyone kills Jack Fritz about Nick Pavetta because he said, hey, it's going to be breakout Pavetta. We talked about Nick Pavetta. We could go back. We could dig up our audio before the 2019 season. That was our breakout candidate. We all saw the same thing. We saw the fastball velocity. We saw the opportunity with the curveball. We all hoped he would develop a third pitch that he could go to and really become a, a legitimate starter in this league. It just never happened. And then he, he completely reworked his mechanics this offseason. I, I think he tried to replicate Giolito, and it, it just didn't work out. It has not worked out to this point. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's one player in a bigger picture of, of a handful of guys that, that there were hope, there was hope for, legitimate hope for, that have, have just simply not gotten it done to this point. Can I tell you what I think is the is the biggest negative of all of this? The great the, the the damage that has been done the most in this entire debacle of 14 games that has happened so far. And it's probably something that's going to need to get talked about more seriously. It's been we've discussed it before, but I think it's now something that it's reached a point of critical mass and we need have anything to really to do with the the catcher? It does. <laughs> it does. And I hate to be the I told you so, because I said if they don't get a deal done before this season starts, he's going to face free agency, and I think he might walk away. Okay? That was, my, that was my, one of my three hot take predictions that will not be a Philly after this year. And I think, I think it's getting further and further away from the possibility of him re-signing here. So did you see the uh, Rob Motti, our friend Rob Motti had a report the other night, uh, said that the Phillies have not yet reached out to JT Real Muto since the season yeah. started? Yeah. I find that peculiar. You know, there's, I guess, two different takes on that. Number one, the Phillies are just so ultra confident that JT Real Muto is going to enter a depressed free agent market that they're going to say, see, <laughs> you know, now take our $90 million offer. We had it pegged. We had the market figured out, which I just don't believe to be the case whatsoever, by the way. Or they're so confident that John Middleton, because, you know, JT Real Muto used to wrestle and John Middleton loves wrestling too. They're going to sit down and have a couple Pepsis together and talk about wrestling. And he's going to say, JT, pal, what do you need to sign? I'll sign the check for you. Let's get this done. We want you to be a Philly for life. Well, I don't think that that's going to happen either. I really don't understand what the hell the Phillies are doing. I, I've thought about this. I believe Rob's report. I don't get their play. <laughs> Do you think that maybe, and you, you talked about, you just mentioned Middleton, you were joking about have a couple Pepsis, let's get this done. But do you think, and, and, and I'm being serious with this question, do you think that they're a little overconfident, or Middleton even is a little overconfident, that he could go in and close a deal because of what he did with Harper. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm serious with that question. Like, yeah, no, I know you are. And says, hey, you know, if Matt 
you you guys work it out. If you can't work it out, I got the ace up my sleeve. I did it with Bryce. I'll do it with JT too. Especially since he flew to JT Realmuto's home, if we recall, last year when he was debating whether or not to fire the manager and had a real heart-to-heart with Realmuto in his house to talk about that, okay? So that they, he obviously feels like there's a relationship that he has, owner-player relationship that maybe is a little bit better than most owner-player relationships. Maybe he feels like at the last minute he can come in and save the day. Do you think that that's possible? I do think that's possible. I think that John Middleton is a good owner and that he wants to win and is, is um, I, I believe he treats his employees really well and the Phillies have a family atmosphere and he's shown a willingness to be aggressive and I'm saying lots of nice things here and I believe them, I do. Do I think that John Middleton may be guilty of, of um, overstating his ability? Yes. <laughs> I, I believe that that is very possible. And mm-hmm. what's scary about this is I think that part of the Phillies' leverage when they traded for him is, well, hell, we're going to go out and, and we're going to become this it team. We're going to be so much fun. You know what was on today during the rain delay before the, the start of the game? They showed the 2019 Phillies video yearbook. and. I watched the first, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes of it. It was the part about signing Harper and bringing in Real Muto. And you watch the first couple weeks of the season. And these guys are launching bombs and they're celebrating at the plate. They're jumping around in the outfield and they're pointing at each other after home runs in the dugout and they're yelling, F yeah. And they had that, you know, we talk about how this team doesn't have it. They just played with so much energy and so much fire and the fans were going frigging crazy. It was like a party down there for a couple of weeks. I think the Phillies, when they acquired JT Real Muto, thought, well, hell, we're going to get a discount here eventually because when we go to resign him, he's going to realize how awesome Philadelphia is, what a great atmosphere it is, what a good team he's playing with. And when he compares it to what he experienced with the Marlins, well, hell, this is going to be an easy sell. But now he's playing on this dreadful team, this lifeless team that's underachieving, has a terrible bullpen. It has no direction at the moment. And he's got to be looking around going, what the hell have I gotten myself into? I believe that he's happy here. You know, like if all things were considered and all things were even and the Phillies gave him a, you know, a legit fair contract, I think his preference would be to stay here. But I don't think the way things have played out that forget home down discount. I just don't even think that there's a, a remote lean because of sentimentality, familiarity or anything else at this point. Mm hmm. I think that that is the, is the great tragedy of the 2020 Philly season right now, more than anything else. And the guy's going out there, and he's, and he's having a hell of a season, hell of a 14 games so far, right? I mean, he's got seven home runs. He's on pace 14 for games. almost 30 home runs in a 60-game season. Yeah, it's <laughs> remarkable. And, and he's doing this, and he's going to get paid because of it. And some team will throw – the money that he wants at him. Maybe not ex- you know, exactly what he wants, but I guarantee you they'll throw more than the Phillies are willing to pay. Yeah. And that's the, that's the biggest concern. And I think that that will be, in the end, regardless of what happens with this season, this team can turn it around and win 33 games, make the playoffs, maybe win a round. All that good stuff can happen. And I still think the great tragedy of 2020 baseball in Philadelphia is the fact that we're going to let JT Realmuto walk away because of, as Russ likes to call it, institutional, institutional arrogance. arrogance. Yes. Um, though I am less confident than I was two, three weeks ago when we first talked about this, I still believe that they will get this done. I don't know why I believe it. I don't know why I trust a front office that, frankly, may have changes. This offseason, I could see a scenario where this this front office uh, undergoes some some change, maybe minor, maybe significant. And that in and of itself could complicate uh, complicate a real Muto contract extension or you know uh, resigning. But I just believe, and, and maybe I'm nuts, and and in fact I am nuts, but I do believe that the right fielder has influence, and I believe that the right fielder has say. And I don't know how you get him to play good soldier, how you get him to be 
on board and be the guy that you want him to be if you don't do what you need to do to bring back JT Real Muto. I think that that is a consideration, and I think it's the wild card in all of this. There seems to be this this idea that they're going to defer to Bryce Harper, that in a way he, he has input on their decisions. If I'm Bryce Harper, I did not come here to, to go 500. I did not come here to go under 500. If you don't go out and sign JT Real Muto and bring him back, what does the what do the 2021 Phillies look like? And now you're in year three of Harper's contract, and you are now starting to transition into the heart of or back end of Bryce Harper's prime. He's only got a few more years of prime. Doesn't mean he won't be a good player. But we're in that window now, 2020, 21, 22. It's time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you justify letting Real Muto go. And that's acknowledging that a six-year deal, five, six-year deal, 120, 130, whatever it is he's looking for, may not even be fiscally responsible. I could make an argument against signing him to that contract. I just don't know how you, pardon my double negative here, don't sign him to that contract. It's bad, Bob. <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Say something I mean, positive. No, stop. Just say something positive. Give me something positive. I got nothing. Zach Eflin, 10 strikeouts, career high the other night. Wonderful. Trust his sinker. Wonderful. Ran into some bad luck. <laughs> I, got, I got nothing positive. What, what do we got? You know what amazes me? I want to just talk about the, uh, the, the Orioles series here real quick. And I mean real quick because I, we have to move on beyond this now. The thing that impressed me the most about the Orioles this week was that they fell behind in the middle innings of every game. They were behind 2-0 on Thursday. I believe they fell behind 3-1 on Wednesday. They were down early on to the Phillies on Tuesday. It's like it didn't even matter. They, like, remained confident. The energy was there. It was like, boom, we'll get back at it. Here we come. We're just going to keep swinging, keep spraying line drives all over the field. We're going to keep coming at you. They were relentless. And, of course, they were helped by some bad defense by the Phillies. Yes, and the Phillies enabled them and gave them a ton of opportunities. And at least on Tuesday night, the Orioles reciprocated. The Phillies couldn't quite take advantage of it. Yeah. I mean, I thought it just felt to me like today when they got down 4 2 in the fifth, do you feel like they were coming back to win that game? Nope. By the way, Baltimore is a very suspect bullpen. Yeah. The door should have been wide open at that point, but it wasn't. Yeah. You just knew they were done. You know, we everybody talked a lot about the uh, the pop up snafu and 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 Roman Quinn's stupid misjudging of that ball. It should have been a base hit to center and turns it inside a Parker home run. How about on Wednesday, Andrew McCutcheon in left field? Horrible play. Horrible play. I'm glad you brought this up. I wrote about this after the game. Yeah. Um, you have a. I mean, situ- it, I, I, more ev- more more evidence to me, Bob, that that McCutcheon is not. Is playing this season not at 100%? Yeah, I think that the physical frustration of his inability to get to the baseball, and for those of you that aren't aware of what we're talking about, a uh, situation where a base runner was on second, I believe it was Renato Nunez, and he went to third, ball dumps in front of Andrew McCutcheon, he doesn't get to it, it was questionable whether or not he could have gotten to it, an elite defender probably makes the play, he goes to third, though, because he, he comes up a little bit lame. Ball squirrels, uh, you know, squirrels by him, squirts by him, whatever. And he goes to pick it up, and he, just without even looking at second base, fires it into third. And I forget who it was. Was it Smith, I guess, that had the hit? Takes mm-hmm. the extra base, rolls into second, and now you have second and third, nobody out. And Zach Eflin rebounds and strikes out the next two guys. But then... I believe it was Chance Cisco, if I'm not mistaken. I'm getting all of my Phillies losses rolled together, but I believe it was Chance Cisco dumps a base hit in front of McCutcheon. The second run scores, and what would have been 3-2 became 3-3 because Andrew McCutcheon let a physical frustration then turn into a mental blunder. And you expect more from Andrew McCutcheon than that, and I agree that there is a visible frustration uh, in his game right now. And, and I saw it again tonight. Um, he hit a, early in the game, he hit a ball, ball in the hole that Pat Valeka, who's not even a very good shortstop defensively, 
uh, makes a nice play deep in the hole and then throws McCutcheon out by a half a stride at first base that if you're pre-knee injury Andrew McCutcheon, he beats it easily down that line. And, and he was thrown out by this, on this play. So, I mean, and you could see the frustration on his face there because he knows that that used to be an infield single and now it's an, now it's an out. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a 33-year-old guy that, that has some, some mileage, some tread on his tires who's coming off a major knee injury. And he may be okay. Like, there's a, a chance that, that the more he plays and the further he gets out from this thing that he'll get his legs underneath of him. He'll start to swing the bat a little bit better. Like, I could see Andrew McCutcheon. I'm not just talking about hitting 220, but I mean rebounding and, and becoming a, a good player again. But right now, I think there's reason to be concerned about Andrew McCutcheon. Right now, I think that there's reason to be concerned about the first baseman. There's reason to be concerned about the second baseman who's now going to be the center fielder. There, there's reason to be concerned about all of those things. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't talked about the bullpen now in 35 minutes. And, and, and the thing <laughs> is, is, it's hard to dial in and, and harp on each of these individual struggles all that much because you're still dealing with a bullpen that even the guys that are supposed to be high leverage have been terrible. I mean, Tommy Hunter has been bad. Adam Morgan, I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, the velocity's a little bit down. You know, on Wednesday night, he threw 17 pitches. Only three of them were fastballs. What does that tell you? You can say Baltimore is an aggressive team. They're young. They like to swing the bat early in the count. You want to hit them with slow stuff. But three pitches out of 17 were fastballs? Come on, man. That has more to do with, with your ability and your trust in yourself than it does about game plan. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. There's not a, there's not a player. I mean, and then even – the most reliable pitcher in the bullpen, Hector Neris, on Tuesday had a bad outing, right? I mean, he got he blew the save, you know, didn't didn't do a good job on Tuesday. There is not one person in that bullpen who you sit there and go, yeah, good job. Yeah, no I mean, one. Hector Neris is a guy that that I like, probably like him more than anybody. I feel like I say this all the time when I talk about Hector Neris. I like Hector Neris. He's got a great ceiling. The splitter's legit. I like him more than most people, but I mean, come on. He, he's not, I mean, he's susceptible to these types of games, you know, and that's the guy, that's the stopper. That's the guy that you feel like is going to be lights out. Hector Naris is not going to, to go 14 for 15 and save opportunities this year. He's mm -hmm. just not maybe 12 for 15, but he's going to have a couple nights like he had the other night. It's going to happen. And it wouldn't be so damn bad if, if anybody else could do their job just a little bit. If this bullpen could just, if any bullpen can just be successful three out of four games, I'd take it. Okay, in today's game, in, today, in the modern era of baseball, I'd take, you know, 75% of the time you're good, 25% of the time you're not. But there's not been a reliever yet to fall into that 75% for the Phillies, like in action. Like it's just not happening. They're all falling into the 25%, which makes me think that it's it's never going to get to that three and four, three out of four times I pitch, I'm going to pitch well. It's it may never get to that. These guys might not even be that good, which means they're below replacement level, which means the Phillies are screwed. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, what becomes interesting is coming into this next series, and just a quick look ahead here, we assume that Spencer Howard's going to take the ball for the Phillies tomorrow night against the New York Mets, uh, against a team that is also uh, underachieving through 20 games to so a third of their schedule. Mets are only 9-11, and 11, but they, they've played a little bit better in recent days. Hey, Phillies, as you're licking your wounds from the, the three-game sweep of the Baltimore Orioles, guess who you get to deal with tomorrow night? That would be one Jacob DeGrom. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a, a tough matchup uh, regardless. And, you know, when this series is over, the Phillies are going to be roughly, I don't know, 30% done their schedule. Yep. I, you know, I'm not in the business of saying that, these, that this is a, a must-win series. You got to sweep. You got to win two, or th two out of three or it's all over. 
you know, we could say stuff like that all the time, and then a week and a half later, you look like an asshole, you know? But if they want to be a playoff team, at some point, if 16 out of your first 17 games are at home, you believe that 16 out of 17 games? I know. It's crazy. They've only played one road game. You've got to you've got to win this series, right? Like you've got to you've got to take 2 out of 3 and get yourself to 7 and 10. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's that's where the Phillies are at. And it's just the shame of it is that you're talking about a 60 game season. They have time. They've gotten decent starting pitching. They could get more out of a bunch of guys in this lineup. I don't know that they're going to continue to get what they've gotten out of Bryce Harper and JT Romuto. But they certainly have room for improvement. There is some established track records across the board here of guys who have underperformed to this point, bullpen notwithstanding. So if you want to get positive here, there's room for improvement. They should play better. I'm sorry. I can't go positive tonight, Bob. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, and I'm with you. I'm with you. And it's, it's, it's hard to be positive after this. It's so disappointing. It was disappointing last year. It was disappointing the season before. And frankly, it was disappointing the, the six years prior to that. And I think that it just compounds itself where it's, it's hard to watch what you're watching right now and, and feel good about it. So I don't know if you have anything else, uh, you know, for the greater good here, but I, I think that we can put a nice little bow on this one after that. Yeah, let's, let's, let's wrap this one up because I, I just need to get past it. And there's no other way to get past it other than to just say – the heck with it. We're done talking about it. Wrap it up. You know, yes, we'll let the rest of the fans have another day to lament and be pissed off and frustrated. Just go right ahead. I it's am. Like, it's like Bill Belichick. We're, we're on to Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are. You and I are on to Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, but no, let's give the fans another day and, and, you know, just kind of, you know, be mad, be angry. You deserve to be. This team is letting you down. They're disappointing you. They are not doing they are not holding up their end of the bargain that we made with them, right? So be mad at them. And, then and if, you, uh, if you want to be mad at us, you can leave us a, a comment and tell us how negative we are, but we're, just trying, five stars. To, we're just trying to keep it real. Yeah, be, you can be mad at us for being negative, but also please leave us a five-star review. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have something, I guess, after the weekend series. We will. We will be back on Monday morning to break down this three-game set with the New York Mets, and hopefully we are talking about happier events here. Hopefully we're talking about Spencer Howard's first Major League win out-dueling Jacob DeGrom. We're talking about the Phillies winning a series. Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto continuing to stay hot. Reese Hoskins hitting his first home run in over 25 games. We're talking about Roman Quinn spraying the ball over the outfield into the gaps, running around the bases, making things happen. Come on. Picture it. The power of positivity. It's a very, very faded image at this point, Bob. It's hard Tommy to Hunter coming sure. in and locking it down, getting a key out in the eighth <laughs> inning. Stop. Stop with Tommy Hunter. Stop. It's second and third, one out. <laughs> Pete Alonzo digs into the box. Tommy Boy comes strolling out of the pen. Makes it happen. Phil's win. Ball game, baby. High yeah. leverage, Tommy Hunter. No. Ain't going to happen. All right. Well, anyway, this is Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel. That's Anthony Sanfilippo. Make sure that you listen to all of the podcasts on the Crossing Broad Network, podcast network. You have Snow the Goalie, which is the, the big ticket item right now. Flyers making their Stanley Cup playoffs postseason run. Got off to a nice start on Wednesday night. Something positive, something to feel good about in this city. Make sure you're checking that out. Also, please continue to listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Do all those good things. And we'll talk to you again on Monday morning.